0: Log Talk Radio Good morning Well, it's actually midnight uh, Hi, you have reached Lorraine Nightheart. This is your host of Venus Unplugged and What we do here is discover and explore and delight and horrified and the Venusian nature in all of us the archetype of a Venus of beauty, of art, of myths, of dream, and uh, there's a bit of fire in my head. So I thought, you know, let me me do this show tonight because, A, when I get fires in my head, I don't have a good night's sleep because I dream and discover and so nothing really settles in. And uh, I thought, well, let me just give you the fire in my head that's going on because I do then much of Sunday, uh, and, and during the week, but, you know, what gift can I give? You know, Venus yeah, loves to give gifts, not that I'm Venus, but the Venus within me, uh, or the Venus possessed, like I am, uh, loves the gifting, you know, not not just receiving, e- even more so giving, and there's nothing like the gift of uh, imagination or discovery, So, I don't know if I mentioned it, but uh, in mid-July, I broke my right wrist. And it was a little more broken than I had thought in two places in bone smash, blah, blah, blah. Had an operation. And for the last uh, two and a half months, I have two more weeks to go, um, three times a week in rehabilitation um, for the hand. Okay. Now, this is posing very interesting... Uh, dynamics within because there is part of me that uh, uh, I may not get the full movement in my hand I thank God I'm left-handed my right-handed was the, the hand that got broke but it may take a year so I don't know if you know making shoes will be part of my certainly won't be part of my near future so I'm creating other possibilities uh, one of them is writing. Now I've always written, but I've decided to take a course and and uh, be part of that community. But today I was uh, pract- part of my thought form was practicing, you know, using my right hand. It finally came out of the wrist, out of the the brace, and so I decided to paint my little kitchen. I don't know. I think it's called Whispering Angel or some. Fantastic name, that caught my imagination. It's very, very light, lilac, quite lovely. So as I was thinking of this, and then I was listening to YouTube and Natalie Goldberg. Now, I don't know if any of you know Natalie Goldberg, but she wrote a book, oh, God, I think it was 1986, Writing Down the Bones, and she's just a pure delight, I thought, well, I broke my wrist writing down the bones. Okay, okay. And she just talks about, you know, just shut up and write. Or, you know, just shut up and love. Or just shut up and get the job done. Uh, And she's, you know, she's fantastic. So that then led me to thinking of humility. Now, part of you know these things that I've been thinking because then in these writing practices, then you do you know ten minutes, five minutes, uh, three minutes, you know just like ranting, just writing, you know don't don't even think about it, which was really quite marvelous because some marvelous phrases come out and some horrific memories come out and some quite. Beautiful notes from the divine come out too so the one thing I was thinking about was my uh, my spiritual teacher and um, part of what she taught me, which of course you know in 1980 I didn't really believe it because uh, it was too I couldn't comprehend it because she said you know this this journey little did I know it was going to be my entire life uh, that I was Stepping off the abyss, like the divine fool, into consciousness, psycho-spiritual awakening, individuation—whatever one wants to call it, uh, mystical madness is more like it. There was um, this concept that you know, by one really devoting to becoming whole, you know, on whatever path that may be. There's no particularly proper path. You heal seven generations before you and seven generations to come. Now that's huge thought. Not to mention huge in the terms of Venus, huge in the term of the kind of love that that uh, entails. Uh, it, it's an incomprehensible love. You can't even call it love because you can't even comprehend it. So I just looked at her as I did often and I was in awe of, what is this woman talking about? But it never left me, obviously. And uh, it has come to pass to some degree. I see certain changes that wouldn't have happened in family structures or life or whatever it might be. So that's, that's one of the reasons, and certainly when I'm working with people and and they're kind of reluctant about their own homelessness and say, well, you know, do you want your kids to live your unlived life? Because that's what you're giving them. That usually kind of bolts people up into consciousness. And so one of the exercises that she gave me, which was in preparing for sleep, she told me, like, uh, the disciple of the sages, um, should become accustomed to making an accounting of, of their deeds and their attitudes during the day. And if the heart of the disciple fills up on thinking that he has made an excellent use of his day, then the angels of the seven heavens pack up all his good deeds into a ball and throw it into the abyss. So you're not even allowed a little bit of inflation. And, um, you know, sometimes that just does happen. It's like, oh, what a good person I am. And then, you know, the cosmic joker comes knocking at the door. So this instant cancellation of uh, all constructive effort is a source of great regression in both, you know, both as an individual and as a collective human developing. And the reason is, you know, there's an there's a inflation there, okay? So in the code of the unconscious, which is another marvelous image, unconscious codes, uh, a metaphorical relationship exists between divinity and cooperating among humans, and when humans can free themselves of pride and rancor and, and uh, just some of the human not-such-great aspects that we have, a lot begins to happen. So taking up the task of consciousness is a huge undertaking of love. Is nothing else that's going to motivate you. I mean, fear could, but you don't get very far with fear. So, you know, in the Kabbalistic system of thinking, which is also a psycho-spiritual, mystical uh, path, uh, what there is one concept that the fear of God, right?, What do they mean by the fear of God? And that the fear of God is like in the head, is in wisdom. And now they say that the fear of God is in the ankle, uh, you know, closest to the earth. And so this is all kind of um, mystical. If you don't understand it, it's overwhelming, of course. But let's say the ankle is the foundation of humility, and that's the fear of God. And, you know, in this Kabbalistic... uh, way of learning to think and feel, there's always these kind of uh, conflicts. In, In some ways, they're almost like active imagination. One side says one thing, the other side says another. That's called the opposites, the tension of the opposites, and we dialogue. So, you know, so in this mystical system, that humility is superior to wisdom, and that the Where he's talking about the 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 fear of God, is first to understand the meaning specifically for the concept. You know, the fear of God. What is this concept? Well, no one. God is not a person or a being. Or uh, it's God is you. God is me. God is the is what we call the energy. We could call gravity for the same thing. Well, gravity is God, and with. When there's this fear of God or the fear of heaven, um, instead of trying to understand this in kind of the uh, simple words of fear or of God, because we get that all confused in the uh, psychospiritual language, it's commonly viewed uh, as, as uh, too archaic. You know, the fear of God, take commandments mammoth, it's going to poke your eyes out, and rip your teeth out ah uh, it is kind of scary but if we see it metaphorically it also has great truth in it so the popular image of god as someone who hears and sees everything that's a product of uh, just childhood and pedagogy of religious pedagogy that most people fail to update with more sophisticated observations of reality and as we leave childhood behind, we've got to update that understanding. But uh, uh, a translation of this idea would be to say that those who fear God relate to life through the values and notions that transcend logic of immediate gain, okay, I'm going to run that by you again, that those who fear God relate to life through values and notions that transcend the logic of immediate gain. Now, this expresses extremely subtle feelings and perceptions, and this is, is what we really... Because it's part of what the Kabbalah is, is so much about, is, is these levels, these perceptions, this, this way. It's not black and white. It's not this or that. It's, it's, it's a bantering, in a sense, uh, with, within, and certainly between heaven and earth. So when we have a child, perceptions and images and associations that appear to uh, contradict spiritual subtle essences, right? This is kind of inevitable, but if we start to recognize like where did I get this idea? And and though I say this as an adult, what's my image inside? Is it really, "Uh uh-oh, I feel bad? Which means you feel guilty. If you feel guilty, did you sin? If you, if you missed the mark, was that true? So, this is very important stuff to start looking at. And that while, on one hand, you know, this is just the way people f- stand by this kind of infantile idea of spirituality and, and religion, it, it's still a method. That people need to discover a method for themselves for their own initiations or to be initiated. So, what is that about being initiated? Uh, life experiences were being initiated. Every day we're being initiated. You know, uh, whenever we you ask ourselves a question, it's an initiation into a new level of understanding. Uh, I mean, that's one of my obsessions and loves of Venus, and, and being Venus-possessed, is that I, I, the older I get, uh, the more I, I see and, and hopefully understand with a little bit of wisdom just how terrified people are of beauty. They do the strangest things to crucify Venus. It never works, but try they might. Okay, so what is a master... The master, that's a model uh, that uh, is the model that we trust. Given trust, we seek to understand the kind of psycho-spiritual, uh, you know, for most part, I trust the uh, psycho-spiritual philosophy of Jung. I certainly trust life uh, and uh, some people. So... That's you know who are, or, or the master within to begin to trust oneself for the master within. All right, so given trust, we seek to understand the language. And however many chances we're given at understanding, well, we need a master, or a mentor, a book, or a way of understanding, a mirror. All of these, we don't we. You know, we do the work, but rarely do we get there alone. We need the master and the disciple. And that could be within ourselves. It doesn't have to be an external. So the master is the facilitator of these communications, and the disciple is the person who respects and reveres the master and hears uh, in her words or his words and sees in his attitudes many elements beyond comprehension. But because he loves and respects uh, his master, he seeks often over an entire life uh, the meaning and the reasons behind those words and acts. As I did with my spiritual teacher when she said no. Uh If you take on this mantle, if you take on this work, and in a sense, you don't even have a choice because you're kind of destined into it. um, Seven generations before and seven generations to come. I'm still working that one out. So, this is kind of similar to like when a child recognizes its parents' wisdom after uh, years and years after an event. Or you find yourself saying the exact thing you swore you would never say, but finally you see the wisdom in your mother's ranting, right? So such revelations, you know, of wisdom is only partly due to what is said or done. Much of it is the result uh, of the reverence or love we hold for our parents or for the fact that deep inside we refuse to accept that someone as special as a master could say something trivial or act in a frivolous way. And they do. The master's the most dangerous, meaning the most profound you know, happy danger I suppose uh, are are the foolish masses. Believing they know what they're up to. So much of what we look at, both within and without, of master and disciple, because the true self, with a capital S, is, is master. And part of the, certainly the Jungian work of individuation is to get to know psyche and ego and all these different parts and kind of align them so that the self, the true you, The divine design has a container to live on the earth with this. So when someone is truly who they are, according to their soul's design, or the divine's design, they have a certain freedom. And they've earned it. So what begins to happen is that the, uh, the, the master is indispensable to the initiation process since he or she is the key to the absorption of the concrete notions uh, that only time and maturity allows us to understand in all their depth and subtlety. I still listen to tapes that I had no idea what this woman was saying to me, but it felt right. And I loved her with all my heart was quite extraordinary. So, you know, this this whole kind of concept. So when we begin to just understand, you know, this kind of concept of, you know, well what is this fear? What does it really mean? It's a humility. We're humble. So what that is to say is a fear of God. It's a concept that is difficult to understand without knowing someone who feared God. My teacher did. It took me a long, long time to understand what she meant. And this is the only way to understand that the term is not about terror, but it's about having great intimacy with God. So the fear of God is not about terror. It's about having great intimacy with God. A master is not a prisoner of dogmas, but someone who can truly daily live. Mm. Right. Highly influenced or almost totally generated by abstract or subtle principles. She was a master of 13 different systems of numerology, which is where I learned Kabbalah later on with another teacher, uh, alchemy, and certainly the Jungian work, a master is not a prisoner. And when they live this, because they can detach themselves from the dimension of the obvious and the commonplace. In this case, she she sees so much further uh, than... The obstacles that most people see, or the what common people will see as a distance for them, it's no distance because she reached wisdom. So, for for a person to arrive at a fear of God, he must leave behind the cult of the gods of rewards, and the god or the goddess of immediate necessity, and the goddess, or goddess of power. Uh, personal veneration, and managed to eliminate the childish elements of his symbolic perception of God. And one must do the same with the word fear. Cast off the fear of others, the fear of the self, the fear of Venus, my favorite one, um, which I would like to free the world from, uh, the fear of pain to permit himself to feel the fear of only that which he is proper, to fear. Only in this way can his fears transform themselves into zeal, into scruples, into morality, having a working moral compass and fully charging nature of what was earlier perceived as fear because it transforms. In this sense, you know, fears aren't paralyzing emotions. But, uh, in fact, they're extremely energetic and mobilizing. because they're the crown of, of wisdom. And when we begin to understand this crown of wisdom, at that point, the ability to perceive true reverence in the realm of uh, humility is more of the foundation of what life is about. And this is because humility is the deep internalization of this capacity of transforming itself into the only aesthetic exercise. Uh, it's, It's a skill in life. In other words, humble persons can live the fear of God without having to resort to the air of wisdom or proud awareness of being wise. I have it on the of the party. Duck, run away. Or you know, they you know have never been one to, to. For people will say, well, I didn't even understand it when I first heard. Was it fake it till you make it? It's like, what do you mean? How 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 do you do that? That always seemed, and I, I guess some people can do it. Just seems way beyond my capacities. So. In this tradition of of humility, seen at this level, in this way, in this system, it recognizes that although there are many sages in the world, few are true apprentices of humility. Apprentices of humility. And in the Kabbalistic system, Uh, There is a a belief, and as a matter of fact, it was a book that I read uh, many years ago, and it was about the 36th just. So that in each generation, there are 36th just. So according to the Kabbalistic tradition, each generation is preserved by the existence of 36th just people. And there was a television show. I think it was called Numbers, and the boy couldn't talk, and he did everything through numbers. And it, you know, I was watching. It was like, wow, whoever wrote this knew their stuff about magic and Kabbalah, and because it was really getting into this kind of concept of the thirty-six just. So, to this, this, this thirty-six just is is the humble. So to become wise is to be able to erase. Uh, the unwise fool within us and to become humble is to erase all trace of the, the one inside of us um, that uh, wants to go against our true. And I, I don't like using higher nature because higher and lower, that almost limits it. If we could see these things in, in the round. Kind of like the serpent swallowing its tail, this eternal round. It's a very different way to perceive an oscillation rather than above and below and left and right. We, we, it's it's much greater than that. So th- this pulling it back to you know this writing, which is why I'm up yakking away here at one o'clock in the morning. So then I decided to do a fifteen minute timed uh, exercise that I got from uh, Natalie Goldberg's Writing Down the Bones about the just like meeting a just person now these just people they have no idea that they're holding up a whole generation it could be anybody anywhere anyhow and no special black American express card you know or some halo or you know, they could probably even be wicked. And yet, they're, they're part of the system. It's kind of an amazing concept. To meet a truly just person who has wisdom and humility. Um, in, in truth, I mean, some people can put on a performance, and they could could actually have that but they're acting in a different way. Uh, because it's a better teaching. No, it's like a zen teaching. You didn't upset them at all. They're just growling. Uh, one of my favorite stories with with uh Jung and they asked him, uh, you know, do you believe in uh, electric shock treatment? He said, Oh, yeah well, yeah, yeah, I believe in it. But the humankind, I was like, well, Dr. Jung, what do you mean by the humankind? He said, well, you know, when someone starts with their their, uh, negative animus or anima, I just growl. And it scares them. And then they now knock it off. So I think that's an incredible way to uh, uh, human shock treatment. Sometimes we could just growl, but consciously, letting others know, get off my tail, or that's not going to fly. Uh, it doesn't have to turn into anger. So think about it. Have you ever met a just person? Uh, what would that look like? Um, do you even believe it's possible? You know, you can come from the, the, the other side. There's no such thing as that. 36 just people. Come on. There's billions of people, and that's per generation. And the belief... Or the teachings is that if something happens to one of these 36 just, the whole generation is screwed. That's how big that concept is. Just a little thought before I go to sleep. So now I can I can dream my dreams and uh, know that hopefully I have gifted you with some interesting thoughts. Or insights, or even some little arguments that go off in your head, like, what's that about? Because there's all sorts of ways to find out about the nature of Venus. So, till next week, I got a bounce. Bye bye.